if you have a Bible, if you would open it up to Daniel chapter 3. And so, uh, so I took a couple weeks off, but we're back in Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. So I'm going to preach uh, rest way through the book of Daniel this summer. And so, uh, so let me just kind of explain the context uh, briefly. So in the book of Daniel, the nation of Israel has gone into captivity because of their sin. And uh, Daniel and his three friends, though, their faith is getting put to the test time and time and time again. And so far in chapter 1, chapter 2, the focus has been Daniel. Now in chapter 3, it's going to be his three friends. Where his three friends are literally, their, their faith is put to the fire test, literally. You know, this past week, speaking of fire, this past week, uh, I burned a big pile of brush on our property. And uh, you may think that I'm maybe kind of careless when I tell you about this, but uh, I thought I was playing it safe. You know, it just rained the day before. And so, fire. And this is what he says to the three guys. He says, Nebuchadnezzar spoke and saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel. So the king recognized this is like an angel of God and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship uh, any other god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any uh, that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made as an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. So. Daniel's three friends, I mean, they thought they was going to be burned alive. They step out of the fire unheard, not even the smell of smoke on them. And instead of being burned alive that day for their faith, they get promoted in the kingdom. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just a crazy turn of events right here. And so, I mean, as we look at this passage, I, I think it shows us how our faith will be challenged and fire tested. And to see, is it going to endure? You know, in the culture we live in, you know, I mentioned this, you know, a couple weeks ago. I mean, there's idols all around us. I mean, there's idols all around us. One idol is technology. You know, when you look at technology nowadays, it seems like it's like magic, doesn't it? I mean, how does that do that? And so people look at technology, it's like, oh, yes, technology. Yes, technology. They bow down and worship technology. Some people bow down and worship all of their possessions, their home. You know, we have so much possessions in our life. You know, during this time of year, there's garage sales all over the place, you know, where we have so much stuff in our garage, in our house. It's like, here, take it for 10 cents. You know, we, we have too much. A, a lot of people, they, they like, yes, possessions, yes, house. And they bow down and worship that. Some people bow down to worship, you know, money and their job, you know, and money and their job, you know, we all need a job, but it's so important to them, they're, they're bowing down and worshiping, yes. Or it could be recreation in your life, you know. Uh, I mean, we love to have fun and everything, but some people bow down to worship recreation. And there's nothing wrong with all these things in our life, but it becomes wrong and it becomes bad in our life. When it becomes an idol. And we actually worship these things in our life. Now we don't actually like do like I'm doing here. You know, back in those days, they actually did that and they would get on their knees and they would worship these false. We don't do that, right? We're 
too sophisticated to do something like that. Uh, when I think of worship, the root word for worship is worth, right? I mean, it begins in our heart, you know, on the inside. I think of two different things. You know, it, it's things in our life that we love more than God. We love this thing, this creative thing, more than we love God. Whatever that, or we love this person more than we love God. So it begins in our heart, but then secondly, it becomes outwardly in our life. We begin to serve this created thing or this person with our time. So we can spend time on that thing more than we spend time with God and worshiping God and serving God. And then we, we give our talent to that thing, our abilities, our gifts. We begin to serve that thing. And then we give our treasure to, to that thing. You know, our time, talent, and our treasure, our money is spent on those idols versus spent on the things of God, the things that God wants us to spend our money on. And that's how we worship, you know, things in our life. And so, uh, you know, all, I mean, I don't think any of us is going to have to be able to like, step into an actual fire to have our faith tested. But we're tested in that way. You know, back in biblical times, they would actually have to give their life for their faith, didn't they? I mean, if back in biblical times, if you didn't renounce your faith, and I know there's missionaries around the world that actually do that to this day, you don't renounce your faith, you're going to die. I mean, your head's going to be chopped off, or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard of a book, it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody heard of that book in the room? Yeah, one, one back here. Uh, it was written back in the 1500s. And uh, I haven't read the entire book. If you read the entire book, uh, I'm impressed because it's not an easy read. It's not an easy book to read. But I read some of the book. And uh, what this guy, John Fox, that wrote it back, back way back then, he wrote it about these different uh, believers and apostles and, and believers back then that actually were martyred for their faith. And he writes about it. He writes about in the book how some people are actually tied to a stake and they are burned alive for their faith because they wouldn't renounce their faith. And they were okay with it. They were good with it. And he talks about in the book how some families, uh, they actually have to watch their children tormented and tortured because they wouldn't renounce their faith. I mean, I couldn't imagine, you know, being in situations like that. And so... I mean, people have done that now through history. And this whole passage that we're looking at right here is actually reminiscent of what's coming up in the near future, I believe, when the Antichrist, he's going to set up whatever image it is that talks about Revelation. And if everyone doesn't like bow down and worship this image, your life is going to end. And so that's actually coming up here in our society, coming up, I believe, in the near future. But the way that we're tempted, though, I think is differently. The way that we're tempted is in the temptations that we go through in life. You know, we're bombarded with temptation after temptation. And we begin to compromise here and compromise there. And the next thing you know, it's like we're worshiping some idol in our life. We're like in bondage to some idol. You know, and, and that, that's the way, that's what's going to happen in our, our life. And see, the big question in our life is, who are we going to worship? That's the big question in our life. Because our faith is going to be challenged. Are you going to worship the one true God, 
Are you going to worship the idols that's all around us in our society? That's the question. And I think our passage shows us how our, our faith can be fire-tested and endure. And so I, I got three different points for you this morning. The first one I'm going to show you is that we need to be resolute in who we worship with our life. We need to be resolute. Because it says in verse number 16, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That was bold to the king. You just don't say that to the king. You just don't say, hey king, I know you got this law, but hey, we're not doing it. Period. We are not doing that. That's like a death sentence. He says, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from, from your hand, O king. But if not, we're stepping into the fire, king. We're, I mean, they were resolute in who they worship, who they serve. I mean, we're going to have to be resolute. If you're, if you're like, kind of like on the fence, I don't know who I serve. I really don't know who I worship. If you're on the, on the fence, then you're going to be swayed in the direction. You're going to lose that battle. Let me ask you this morning, who do you worship and serve with your life? Who do you worship and serve? My question isn't, who do you believe in? Because you can say, yeah, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's my belief. That's not my question. Who do you worship and serve with your life? Because you can believe all the right things, but worship and serve all the wrong things. They can happen at the same time. See, there's three different areas that we're tempted. I want to show you in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, talks about three different things that we're tempted in here. And he says in verse number 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So basically saying, don't worship things in this world. Don't serve them. He says, verse 16, for all that is in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, that's our, our own desires, things that we want, our flesh want, this physical body, our carnal nature, our mind wants in this life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. So things that we see in this world, it's like, I want that, and I, I'm willing to forsake God to get that thing, whatever that is. And the third one is the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. We'll be talking about pride more next week. And the world is passing away in the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So we're in this battle. I brought an illustration up here for you this morning. We're in this battle in these different temptations. And so as you see on this pitchfork, uh, this, these different points represent what we're, what we're tempted in. We have the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the, this fourth one is whatever else. I couldn't find one with three, so there's four on this one. So, <laughs> so we're in this battle. Our, our enemy is doing this. It's like he's trying to stick us. He's trying to like slash us. He's trying to do all these things. And we're in this battle with our enemy. And sometimes, boom, it lands in our life. It lands in our life. And we're like, like kind of like bleeding out like spiritually and we're hurting 
think spiritually because we've succumbed to these different things in this world. We're actually serving and worshiping, you know, these different things in this world. I mean, that, that is the battle that we're, we're in in our life. Who are we going to worship? Is it going to be things in this world? Or is it going to be the one true God? You know, we need to be resolute in our faith. You know, when I think of this word resolute, I think of, I think of ants. I don't know if you guys have ever uh, seen how resolute ants are, but they are very resolute. We, we on our property, you know, in front of our property, we have this huge ant pile. It's probably, I would say, probably five foot by five foot ant pile. This thing is huge. We went out there one day, and there's ants like all over it. And so just here about three weeks ago, or whatever it was, we had that torrential downpour. You know, it just rained on everything. Everything was like flooded. And I went out there and looked at, you know, the ant pile. It's like a big mud pot. I mean, it's just demolished. And, and so you would think, well, their homes are flooded. The ants are dead. I mean, that's it. That's the end. I come out there in a couple days after it kind of dried out a little bit. There's like ants all over the pile again. Their holes are everywhere. And it's like, now that is resolute right there. And, uh, you know, we need to be like that. You know, you may say this morning, you know, I've been in like trial after trial and hardship after hardship my faith. And I'm done. I've done serving God. I've done worshiping God. I've tried it. It doesn't work out. Maybe you're like that this morning. You know what? If you are not resolute in your faith, I mean, you, your life is going to end up like, like a mud pot and you doing nothing about it. You know, we have to be resolute in who we are serving in this life. God's created us to serve Him and not the idols all around us. And if we're not resolute, hey, we serve Him and Him only, that's what our life is going to end up like. And then secondly, we need to surrender our bodies on the altar of worship. Because I get this from what Nebuchadnezzar, when, when he says to the, uh, David's three friends here, it says, Nebuchadnezzar spoke and saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies. And they that, that they should not serve nor worship any other God except their own God. Nebuchadnezzar recognized what the three guys had. They yielded their bodies. That's worship. When you yield your body, God, here is my body. I surrender my body to you. That is true worship right there. See, we, we, we should surrender our body and worship. You know, a lot of times we look at our life as like just our own. Right? When we look at like our house and we say, well, my name is on the deed of my house, so that's my house. We look at our car and, well, my name is on the title of my car. That's my car. You know, we look at our bank account and my name's on the bank account. That's my bank account. We look at all these things and we think, well, that's mine. And uh, I can do with it whatever I want to do with it. We can do with whatever we have in our life. But in reality, if you are a born-again believer, none of that stuff is yours. Our life is not our own. Our Savior owns our life. You know, there's a passage I want to show you. 
that you may, uh, you may recognize that talks about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What is a temple? It's worship. Yeah, it's a place of worship. I mean, it's a place, this body is a place where we worship God wherever we go. Wherever we go, we are not our own. I mean, and that, that's the reason why we should surrender our body. This is a place of worship, you know, for Him. And we, we, should, we should surrender to Him in that way. You know, God doesn't want our service. He wants our life. And there is a difference. And let me explain to you the difference. When we just give God our service, we come to church, and if you serve on a, one, of, one of our kingdom teams here, uh, you come to church and you and you serve on a team, and, and then once you go home, it's like, all done serving. Or you come to church on Sunday morning, and you worship God on worshiping, and you go, to, you go home from church, and it's like, all done worshiping. That's giving God your service. Giving God your life and surrender your life is, yeah, you come to church to serve and worship, but when I go home to my family, I serve and worship God in my family. And it's like when I'm by myself, when nobody's looking, nobody's hearing me, I serve and worship God by myself. When I go to work, you know, and interact with my employer, with, with my, my co-workers, I'm serving and worship everywhere I go. I'm serving and worshiping God because I have surrendered my body to serve and worship Him. See, that's the difference between just a service and actually worshiping with your, with your life. He wants your life. He wants my life. He, he deserves our life. Because, I mean, He gave His life for our He deserves it. And when we give our lives and then, then, then whatever day it is, he says, I want you to step into the fire today. Then you know what you know what we do? Because it's, it's a lot easier to do it. Okay, I'm stepping into the fire today because my life is his. Boom. And we're, we're in the fire for him. But if you're just giving God your service, it's kind of like, I don't know. He wants our life. When we surrender our life, then our faith endures in the fire. And then lastly, Look for the presence of your Savior in the fire. Look for your, the presence of the Savior. Because, because again, let me read it again, verse 24. The king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they, they are not hurt. And the four, form of the four is like the Son of God. I mean, the, the king and the counselors, they were like, their jaws on the ground, like, what in the world? These guys are like, what? The shackles are burnt off, okay? They're not bound anymore. And they're walking around with this, this another man that his light's probably even brighter than the fire that is the Son of God. 
This is the Lord Jesus Christ that shows up right there in the midst of the fire. I mean, this, this is an amazing, this is an amazing thing. And then uh, verse, down to verse 27, he says, And the, the satraps and the administrators, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of the fire was not on them. Could you imagine? I mean, the fire that I showed, the brush fire I showed you in the beginning, could you imagine stepping into that and walking out, not even having to smell a smoke on you? I mean, the king was probably like, I can't even smell the smoke on you guys. I mean, this was God's power and protection upon these three guys. I mean, it, I mean, it's amazing. Amazing. I mean, God's glory, as we say, God's glory was on display. This is what, when you follow God by faith, you step on the fire by faith, here's what God's glory is on display. You know, I don't want to sit here and tell you this morning that everything is going to go well when you step into the fire. You know, this is not a church where I preach the prosperity gospel and... You know, if you just follow God, everything's going to go well, and you go against the culture, and you don't worship the gods in our culture, that your family's going to be happy about, your friends are going to be happy about. I'm not going to sit here and say that because that's not the truth. The truth is, when you step into the fire, sometimes it's not pleasant. Sometimes, I mean, it's difficult. Sometimes it struggles. I mean, if you look at Christians throughout history, I mean, Christians that were burned at the stake, it didn't go too so well for them when they stepped into the fire. I mean, I'm not going to sit up here and say that it's going to go so well. But one, one thing I am going to tell you is we have a promise of the presence of our Savior when we do step into the fire. We have that promise of His presence that He is actually going to be there with us, helping us as we are stepping out of faith into the fire, our faith is being challenged. He's going to reveal Himself to us. We're going to see Him. And, you know, before the, the three guys did this, I'm sure they had never seen the Lord's presence like this. Never seen until they stepped into the fire. When we step into the fire and our, our faith is challenged, God's going to reveal Himself to us in, in a way that He's never revealed Himself to us. I mean, we're, we're going to get comfort like we've never had before in our life. I mean, he's going to give us vision. You know, he's going to give us instruction. I mean, he's going to give us all these things that we never would have had, not unless we stepped into the fire. You know, I believe that stepping into the fire and having your faith challenged like that, my faith challenged like that, is true freedom. That's true freedom. I, I believe because, you know, I mean, the three friends, when they, when they went into the fire, they had shackles on. When they went into the fire, all of a sudden the shackles were burned off. They were free. That's true freedom. When, when you step into the fire, that's when you experience, man, this freedom in your relationship with God that you never had before. His presence. So let me ask you in closing, are you willing to step into the fire?
Is your faith being endured in the fire? You know, we're, we're in this battle, like I mentioned to you up here. I mean, this, not physically like this, but we are in this spiritual battle. Our enemy. I mean, he's swinging at us. And some of us, it's like, oh, I'm kind of like bleeding out of your spirits. I need some spiritual help. You know, some of us are like that. You know, God wants to reveal himself to us in a way he's never revealed himself to us when we step out on faith. You know, I want to ask you this morning, what, what, how is God speaking to you, to you this morning? How is he speaking to you? Maybe there's something in your life where maybe he's put his finger on and he said, you know, this is an idol. You are bowing yourself down to this thing in your life. Maybe he's speaking to you this morning saying, you need to turn from that idol and begin worshiping me with your life. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe, maybe you're in the midst of the fire and you're saying, God, I need your presence. I need your comfort. I need all the things that you promised. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. We have to draw close to him. You know, my prayer is always, uh, actually, I, I pray that God will actually like, help me to draw close to you. Because sometimes in my life, I know I have a hard time drawing close to God. And I ask God, God, help me to get there. Help me to draw close to you so you can draw close to me. You know, maybe that's you this morning. 